if anyone wants to get Dishes and Dimes game credentials. Death taxes and losing to the Charlotte Hornets slash Welcome to the March 1st episode of Dishes and Dimes. We're a Raptors podcast featuring a rotating cast of eight women hosts. Today you have got Sarah, that's me, and Iman. Hey, Iman. Hello. Greatest month ever. Woohoo. Yes. Spring <laughs> ahead, waiting for some sunlight. And just wanted to remind everyone that we are recording this before tonight's game at Denver, so we won't be talking about that. So we'll start off with talking a little bit about this week's games, hopefully not too much, some game highlights and lowlights. This is the week that the Raptors went one and two, lost two in a row and the week out. And we'll start, though, with the good news, which was the blowout versus the Pacers last Sunday. The 127 to 81 massive blowout. I think, Iman, wasn't that the biggest point differential in Raptors history or something like that? It was. Yeah, and I don't know what too much to say about this game. I mean, we had maybe five players or six players, I think. Yeah, six players scoring more than 10 points. We had an awesome Matt Thomas game, 17 points, his career high. Um, it was pretty hilarious. A lot of it was in garbage time at the end, but it was still awesome. I mean, that was fun. I really said nice. on Twitter, I was saying, joking rather, that when the Raptors go up by 40, a slew of games just follow for whatever reason. When they had a 40-point lead against the Utah Jazz in that half, in that remember that first half that they had? After they won that game, they lost three in a row to Miami, Houston, <laughs> and then Philadelphia. And then now when they have a 46-point win against the Pacers, they end up losing the next two games following. So that does not bode well for tonight. But like we said, we're recording before, so who knows what happens. Yeah, who knows? Hopefully we can stem the tide. I think let's move on from that one. I mean, that was a lot of fun, and there were fun bench celebrations. The last thing I'll say, I think O'Shea Brissett might be the most fun bench celebrator anyway, because he's pretty, every game there's like something memeable when they're doing well. And the next game, yeah, was the kind of the bummer. It was the 108 to 97 loss against the Bucks. My main observation, like we didn't have quite enough offense. And I think none of us were surprised by that. I mean, we didn't have Marcus Gasol. We didn't have Norm Powell. And I think when you're going to take on the Bucks, you need everything. And, you know, we had 22 points from Siakam. He wasn't super impressive at the end of game to me. And Serge had a pretty big stinker with five points. I think he missed like every three known to man in this game or, oh no, it was one of 10. So pretty close to that. It was dismal. So what were your thoughts on this one, Iman? You know, we were joking heading into this that if the Raptors won, clear sign that they were going to make the finals and they were just the best team in the East. And if they lost, we had the built-in excuses. And to be fair, I think those built-in excuses were accurate. Like not having Marcus Gasol is very big. Not having Norman Powell, we saw in that Charlotte Hornets game where he was really one of the only ones who can make a three-pointer is is massive for this team. And after that game, I thought, okay, so the reaction from the American media, I'm saying that in quotes because you know how, as Raptor fans, we love to harp on the American media. (laughs) I, I thought that their reaction to the game 
made no sense, right? Like we have guys being like, okay, well, see, this just proves the point that the Raptors just don't have enough scoring power to beat the Milwaukee Bucks. And yes, that might be accurate, but I don't know that we can look at this game as a clear example of that when you're missing Marcus Gasol, right? And Norm, and Norm, because he's the team's best defender. But the team also desperately misses him on offense. If you remember last year, the Raptors, before the All-Star break, were 22nd in the league in three-point percentage made. After the All-Star break, were first. And the difference there was that Marcus trade. 100%. What he provides on the offensive end cannot be underscored. And I thought, you know... <sighs> I was going to talk a little bit about Stephen A. Smith saying that the Miami Heat were clear favorites in the East to to take on the Milwaukee Bucks and just sort of laugh about that because he mentioned that Miami is a very good three-point shooting team and you need three-point shooters to beat the Bucks. And that's accurate. But what Miami three-point shooters give you on offense they take away on the defensive end. (laughs) And that's why they're not in the same tier as the Celtics and the Raptors who have guys who can do it on both both sides of the ball. I did want to get more into that, but we don't actually have to waste our time on on Stephen A. Smith today. So let's let's move yeah, on to the next game. You know what? Iman, he's a waste of time every day. I, I just <laughs> thought that was... Let's move on to the next game. Yeah, so Friday night we had that kind of drag of a loss against the Hornets, 99 to 96. I don't know. This game, I don't think... I never want to see it again. I never want to think about it again. I mean, the bench had nine points. It was just so, so bad. But they were missing... Van Vliet and both bigs. Saw a lot about that, about the bench scoring, but when you're missing so many players and you have bench guys now starting, that's unfair to the bench because they're losing two of their most important players at that point. And Sergi Baca was hurt, right? So yeah. you're you're losing you're losing a lot of the productivity from the bench. So I don't know that that's completely fair to them. Yeah, I kind of thought they'd win this game anyway, though. I mean, they're just so much better than Charlotte, but I get it. <laughs> that's just been the story for the Raptors, right? Like death taxes and losing to the Charlotte Hornets slash oh. Bobcats. It's a curse at this point. And in all honesty, I, I thought the curse was over because in DeMar DeRozan's last season here, the Raptors swept the Hornets in the regular season for the first time ever, which just sounds ludicrous because the Hornets slash Bobcats have been just terrible for so long. So what I decided to do, because I think that you made a very good point. This was a game that the Raptors should have won, but they didn't. And they lost it in such heartbreaking fashion. Just to relive it for everybody, there was 2.1 seconds left, and it was a tied game. Yeah. All the Raptors had to do was defend for 2.1 seconds and force overtime, and they didn't get a chance to do that because Rondé Hollis-Jefferson was called for a foul before the Hornets could even inbound the ball, which I'm not saying he didn't foul him. He did, but who calls that? in that point of the game. Now you're just letting free throws decide the game for you. I just thought that that was... Uh, you know what the issue is, though? I mean, yeah. I know a lot of people were mad about that foul, mad about the refs, and I get it, because they don't usually call that, but they missed 9 of 29 free throws. They oh, they had no business winning that game. Yeah, that's they had no three. Winning that game. They didn't, deserve, they didn't deserve to win. They they should have already won it before we even got to being tied in the last two seconds. But well, what the Raptors do best, what the Raptors do best is find heartbreaking ways to lose to the Charlotte Hornets last Bobcats. And so I took it upon myself to go back and relive some of these games. And I made my top five worst losses to the Charlotte Hornets slash Bobcats. Misery loves company. So I decided to bring it on the pod and talk about it here. So let's get into it. Here's the thing. I think think that this game 
hops into the top five losses. I think because of the improbability of the way that the Raptors lost, it's got to be in the top five. So this next one, I guess, gets bumped off. And it was one of the most recent losses to the Charlotte Hornets. It was on April 5th, 2019. Yes, it is. It's Jeremy Lamb's second game winning buzzer beater three in a two week span against the Toronto Raptors. Just (laughs) such an awful game. The Raptors were up by one with under 10 seconds to go. And it seemed like Kemba had eyes at the back of his head because they were only up by one. You think that they would just go for the two. And so he drove and Raptors defense started to swarm him. He kicks it out to Jeremy Lamb, who's wide open for three, and he hits it. It was... I just uh, laughed, though, Iman. I just laughed. At that point, you have to, especially because two weeks prior to that, he hit another one, which, don't worry, makes its way onto the list. So let's get into number four. All right. So number four was March 29th, 2017. So let me paint the picture. I know I talk fast, guys. Bear with me. Put it down to 0.75 on your podcast app if you must. All right, so let's paint the picture. Kemba was 0 for 6 from deep. He was not having a great game until 3 minutes and 41 seconds to go in the fourth quarter where he hits a 3 to bring the Hornets within 1. Then with 2 minutes to go, he hits another 3 to put the Hornets up by 1. Then with 38 seconds to go, he hits another three to put the Hornets up by three. Then with 10 seconds to go, Kemba drives. He kicks it out to Batum, who finds Marvin Williams. Yes, that's the Marvin Williams, who was hitting some timely threes against the Raptors in that Bucks game. It all comes full circle, you guys. He hits a dagger three above the break, and the Hornets end up winning that game. The Hornets scored 44 points in the fourth and had eight three-pointers, four of them coming in the last three minutes and 41 seconds span that I was just talking about. That was the worst. Terrible, terrible game, but not the worst because there are three other ones that are more (laughs) painful. Coming in at number three is November 21st, 2012. So if you guys remember this season, this was the Raptors' last bad year. So this was the the last year that they didn't make the playoffs. Pre-Messiah, yeah. Yeah, so the score is 98-97. Because Ramon Sessions just hit a jumper. And now I'm going to paint one of the craziest last possessions for the Toronto Raptors. All right? So Raptors have the ball. Down one. DeMar drives. He gets blocked. The Raptors come up with the rebound. They get it to Andrea Bargnani, who pump fakes from three because, you know, Andrea Bargnani loves to pump fake from three. But he has this really nice find to Jose Calderon, who's standing at the top of the key. And Jose, mind you, because I think a lot of people forget this, was a brilliant three-point shooter. He shot 46% from deep that year on four attempts per game. Just brilliant. Anyway, he ends up breaking this one, gets the long rebound, passes it to DeMar, who gets the ball stripped. But it's okay. It's okay. Because with three seconds left, the Raptors get the ball back. They inbound it to Andre Bargnani. Andre Bargnani for the win. Gets fouled on the shot. No call. Raptors end up losing and it was a clear hack on a game on a potential game winning shot I was furious about that one and reliving it has gotten me all worked up yet again apparently (laughs) seven years later I'm still angry about a game seven years and a championship later I'm still mad about an Andrea Bargnani missed potential game winner uh uh, thankfully (laughs) do not remember this game in any way I'm very in awe of you and you're like 
awesome memory of these terrible games. Oh, but... this this was a season where the Raptors just kept having close loss after close loss. I am lucky that I almost have like a blank in my mind between just the Carter years <laughs> This is number two on the list. December 18, 2013. So this would have been probably like the second or third game after the Rudy Gay trade. So he would be in Sacramento at this point. And I'm going to start this off with overtime. 19.5 seconds left in the game. The Charlotte Bobcats are up 102.99. And Amir's going for this offensive rebound and ends up fouling Gerald Henderson. And yes, that's the Gerald Henderson, notable Raptor killer, Gerald Henderson. So he goes to the line and he misses not one, but two free throws. Raptors get the ball. DeMar DeRozan has a clear lane to the basket. He gets the easy two. Raptors are now down by one. The score is 101-102. And they're forced to foul Kemba Walker on the other end to stop the clock. Kemba goes to the line. He misses not one, but two free throws. I know you're thinking this sounds lovely, but no, it's on my list, so it can't be. <laughs> Raptors get the ball again. DeMar DeRozan <laughs> goes for the win. He gets fouled by Gerald Henderson. He goes to the line. He splits his free throws, misses the first one, makes the second one. It's tied. 102, 102 in overtime. There is one second left in the game. Not two seconds, not one point something seconds, just one second left in the game. Josh McRoberts inbounds it to Kemba Walker. Kemba hits a fadeaway. Somehow it goes in and the Raptors lose to the Bobcats again. Okay. And then finally... Number one, the worst loss, in my opinion. I referenced it earlier. It is the Jeremy Lamb game winner. The day is March 24th. It is 2019. The Raptors are up by two, and there's 3.1 seconds left on the clock. Dwayne Bacon, he inbounds the ball to Jeremy Lamb. Siakam actually gets his hand on the ball and swipes the ball away, and so and Jeremy Lamb fumbles it and is trying to gather it again. He, at this point, is beyond half court. He is in the backcourt. He just fumbled the ball away. He's got maybe one second left and has Pascal Siakam running at him trying to close. And so he throws up a heave. And somehow, this backcourt heave lands. There's no bounce. <laughs> There's no Kevin Harlan voice, is this the dagger, bounce, bounce, bounce. We don't get that. It is an automatic swish. Game over. Charlotte Hornets win it. Somehow, someway, they keep doing this against the Raptors. It is insane. My favorite stat, the worst stat ever, is that <laughs> the lockout shortened season, the Charlotte Bobcats won seven games that year. They won seven games. Um, that is the losingest season in NBA history. And they somehow managed to beat the Raptors twice. They had yeah. a winning record against the Toronto Raptors in the losingest season in NBA history. The Raptors find miraculous ways to lose to this team. Those are the five worst in my opinion. Let me know what you guys think. Did I miss one? I probably did. My only issue, Iman, with your list is I yeah, think tell me. number one is actually the number one best loss because that Jeremy Lamb half court, like throw it up in the air and pray. I just thought it it was hilarious, actually. I it laughed. Was, I laughed it was so because the ended up winning a championship in regular season didn't matter at all. It's just insane how they end up losing to this team. They invent new ways to do it. Shout out to who pointed that out. Let's yeah. move on from that. That was a very <laughs> hard. 
I was talking for like 12 minutes. So, I apologize, you guys. That was a very entertaining trip down bad memory lane. So here we are at the Weekly Dime. It's where we talk about someone or something in the NBA this week that was a perfect 10. So for this one, I will start out at start out and pick my dime. And my dime is Zach Lowe on the Bill Simmons podcast this week, um, where they spent five glorious minutes praising Kyle Lowry. It was so awesome. It was so fun. I think I listened to it three times. I mean, I know I'm a bit obsessed with Kyle Lowry, but it was great. Um, it starts with Bill saying, here's the case for Lowry being the 12th most important player, the one I would pick if I were, you know, designing a championship team. Um, and he picks Kyle and says, here's, a, here's the case for Lowry. And Zach Lowe immediately cuts in and says, you don't have to make the case. I'm in. They're champions. What are you talking about? And then they talked about Kyle Lowry being a badass. Kyle Lowry being the most important player in the All-Star game. He's every great player is on the court, and he's the best one. He's doing the most. He's the least afraid. Then we get Zach Lowe saying, Kyle Lowry, he's on your team. You know, you don't have to save any of your brain worried about what he's going to do because Kyle Lowry is going to make the right decision every time, and you don't need to think about it. And then Bill went on and on for quite a few minutes about why Lowry is an MVP candidate, even though, yeah, he had his top five. Lowry was number six, but he, he made the very strong case that this is the second best team in the East, the third in the league, and that guy is their fuel. This guy is the most important player to this team. They've had two of the best months in the NBA. They just went on and on and on, and it ended you know, with Zach talking for a while about game six of the finals and Kyle creating his legacy and how no one ever envisaged him probably being the guy that in a finals elimination game like makes the most difference, that just like dives in and scores every point in the first five minutes. But anyway, it was a glorious, glorious five minutes. That is my dime this week. I think I'm just going to double up there. That's my dime as well. I love that they were talking about the game six there and how that changed Kyle's legacy. Because I remember when Draymond Green blocked his shot in game five, just being oh. heartbroken that like these narratives about Kyle Lowry are coming back and they're not true. And uh, for him to have that redemption game, game six, I thought was so necessary for him. And it's very clear in the way that the rest of the league is talking about him. So I, I agree. I'm going to make that my dime as well. Why not? So we'll move into our dish segment, our weekly dish. And this week, our weekly dish is going to be our dime bag, a listener mailbag, because we get a lot of questions and a lot of weeks we don't actually get to very many of them. So I think Iman has, Got a few. Yeah, we don't get to your question today. Like, thank you for sending it in. We are going to go through a lot of these. Some of them are playoff related questions, and we do want to save them for closer to the playoffs, right? So, this is from Too Much Hoops. Brad says, Other than the Raptors, what are the top three teams that you've been watching the most frequently this year, and why? Sarah, do you? My first would be OKC. I just think the Thunder have been super, super fun this year. Might be in the minority, but I love Chris Paul. He's the most Kyle. Yeah, he's the most Kyle Lowry player. He's the, he is the Kyle Lowry of the West. He's having a great resurgence here. Him and Shy or Shy Gilgis Alexander are so so fun. Um, no one thought they'd be this good. I love it. I don't know how to order the next two, but I I really enjoy the Pelicans and the Grizzlies. Obviously, it's been it's just super awesome. It's super fun to watch Zion. This total. I've never seen a guy like this, like his 
body, his athleticism, just how good he's been so fast. He hasn't played that many games. Explosive. And they're just like a fun, young team that's just having a really good time. And I I love it. And also there's a Canadian on it, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, which is always a bonus for me. And then the Grizz, I mean, also, again, another fun young team, John Morant. Super fun. I love JV's on the team, so I love seeing him do well. Those are my top three. I, I've got to admit that I'm really enjoying the Celtics this year, but I will never make the Celtics a favorite. Anything, I'm very petty. My Those are my top three. I don't know if you agree, Iman, or disagree, or want to fight. No, I think those are three really fun teams. I completely understand whether you're, they're on your list. I find teams that I often watch a lot. I sometimes hate watching. Yeah, I, I I hate watch some teams because I want them to lose, and so I'm gonna pay attention to your game, Boston Celtics. I'm talking about you. Yeah. Find myself watching a lot of Celtics games recently. Find myself watching a lot of Clippers games. Clippers and Celtics had a very fun game right before the All Star break, and I'm very intrigued by this small ball Houston Rockets team. Yeah, and I love Russ, so I have watched quite you a bit of more games already. I love Russ. Yeah, hi, he's fun. Russ is fun. It's so much fun to watch the Houston Rockets. So that answers that. I have a, a Drake question. Chaos and Kairos asks us, did Drake's chirping ruin our chances for Giannis? Nah, I don't think it matters. I, I think- don't either. Giannis cares so much about winning and being put in a great situation. I don't think Drake matters. Yeah, and he's a great troll, right? Like Drake knows how to meme. Drake knows how to be corny. It's just who he is. I don't think the players really care. And I think... You know, if Giannis was on the Raptors or considering coming to the Raptors on the very small chance he decides to leave the Bucks, uh, and let's be honest, it's a small chance. I love we loved we Raptors fans love to troll the Bucks, but he's probably not leaving. But in the off chance he does, he doesn't care. Like he'll have fun partying with Drake. He'll have fun playing basketball and his. So Kurt underscore two two five. He says it hurts him to ask this, but has Tatum surpassed Pascal Siakam? What say you? No, I mean, he might, but I think it's way too soon. Like, what, he's been really killing it for, like, a month? I mean, it's exciting, mm-hmm. and, you know, he, I think he could be a top-five player at the, in the league at some point. But, yeah, I'm not ready to, to crown him just yet or say he's – I don't know about you. I think offensively he's a better player than Pascal Siakam, and defensively, I mean, just with Siakam's size, like, it's not, not a knock on Jason Tatum, who is a, a great defender in his own right. But Pascal Siakam is better. But I think if you looked at Pascal's beginning of the year, you would say, well, he's head and shoulder above Tatum and Tatum's gone on a run now. And that's just what happens with these young players. I think it's too soon to say, like you just mentioned. But for right now, I I do think that Tatum has the edge over Siakam, but that's liable to change at any any moment. He just has so much more versatility offensively and his ability to just score (laughs) that we've seen Siakam really struggle with this year. So I would say for right now, yeah, he's, he's been playing better than him. Yeah. Okay. So Luke James at Luke James BGN asks, where would you put Damon Stoudemire on your list of all time best Raptor players? Honestly, I mean, I think for me, he probably goes between 10 and 15. I think you probably disagree. Well, I, I kind of know you do. So yeah. what are your thoughts? Okay. So this is in no particular order. You got Kawhi Leonard, you have Kyle Lowry, you have DeMar DeRozan, you have Chris Bosch, you have Pascal Siakam. Who am I forgetting? Vince Carter. Well, Vince Carter. Yeah, I was like, I had six. <laughs> that is the top six. So I would put him at seven. And to be completely honest, I've been a Raptors fan for as long as I can remember. But 
Damon Stoudemire predates as long as I can remember. So a lot of my Damon Stoudemire knowledge is either anecdotal or from basketball reference. It's not actually from watching him as a main guy on the Raptors. So that might be why I'm underscoring him or discounting him a little bit on this list. But in my opinion, you've got the top six and he can be number seven. Yeah. I mean, I, I can, I think it's arguable. I could put him anywhere from seven to 15. So I'm, I'm, I also didn't watch a ton of the first few years of the Raptors. So it's probably an unfair kind of bias because I wasn't watching his games that much. Right. Okay, so this is a fun question from Chris Bridgen at Chris. So he says, Lowry is Bernie Sanders. That's his take. Rumpy <laughs> and essential. Patrick McCaw is Bloomberg. Just why, he says. And then he asks, who is Warren, Pete, and Klobuchar of the Raptors? <laughs> I don't know if I fully agree with his premise that Bernie is Kyle. I get why he said it, the grumpy thing. But I think of Marcus Gasol, to be honest, because I have this kind of picture of him in my mind as kind of being this democratic socialist leaning guy. I mean, he's Spanish. He's European. He saves refugees in the Mediterranean in the summer. So but I'll, I'll accept. OK, I'll accept Brad's premise for now. I think you had kind of some exciting thoughts. Yeah. So here's the thing. I love my Toronto Raptors and I did not think it was fair to compare any of them to Mayor Pete or Amy Klobuchar or any of the Democratic uh, candidates at this point. So what I decided to do instead was compare those guys to NBA teams. And so I thought start off with none other than Joe Biden. And I thought that Joe Biden is the San Antonio Spurs. They're old, they're outdated. People only expect them to achieve because of their name recognition and history. And all of us want them to drop out of the race. I don't think there's a single non-Spurs fan that wants them in the playoff hunt. Biden's over, like he needs to step away. Yeah, he's been around too long, just like the Spurs. Exactly. So for the Celtics, I have Mayor Pete, of course, Pete Buttigieg. For one, he looks like Brad Stevens. And so they actually um, pointed out that he's very similar to them. So I give her credit for that. But of course, he looks like Brad Stevens. Also incredibly overrated. <laughs> very shiny and seems different and new. But if you look under the hood, you'll notice some major flaws with both of them. Then for Elizabeth Warren, I have the Philadelphia 76ers. They have the pieces to be good and scary but they can't put anything together long enough to actually contend for anything. And they constantly do and say things to self-sabotage. So that's why the Sixers are Warren. And then for Amy Klobuchar, I have the Denver Nuggets. They're there, but no one actually expects them to win anything of value. They're just there. <laughs> so th- those are the comparisons that I've made. I also have Clippers as, as Bloomberg. I know he mentioned McCaw as Bloomberg, but the Clippers are the villains of, of my heart right yeah. now. And, and that is Mayor Bloomberg. Yeah, 100%. The Clippers and like Balmer. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. Just like rich and buying their way into things. Exactly. Exactly. And being really annoying while they do it. <laughs> exactly. All right. Tala and oh my gosh, this username at Holy Cockroach asked, <laughs> are you, I know it's a great, um, are you concerned about the players and coaches being on edge about calls sometimes, namely Lowry and Nurse? And I, I guess I'm asking this one because I would say yes. I think. Really? Yeah, I, I do. Well, I always thought that they, you know, Kyle and others like would get really worked up and sometimes like, 
um, were thrown off their game when refs weren't going well. And I remember this a lot during the DeMar era too. They were so demonstrative with their frustrations. I felt like DeMar and Kyle would have kind of tantrums. And then to me that went down a lot last year. Like I felt like Kawhi really calmed the team and they all talked about that, how he was a calm presence and didn't get thrown. And this year there have been a few games where I felt like Kyle and maybe Pascal were too visible and their end kind of just seeming very frustrated. And like Kyle, like during the Bucks game, wasn't he like kind of nuts a little bit? He was, he was playing poorly. I think I think he gets in his head when he has a game like that. But to me, it's like Kyle's been complaining about refing for his entire <laughs> career. Are we going to be worried about it 14 years later? Like, I don't know. And I like that Nick, Nick Nurse gets on the refs. I, I think that you want that in your coach. It definitely revs Kyle's engines up. We constantly <laughs> hear Matt Devlin being like, don't poke the bear. Oh, they just poke the bear. And like a pissed off Kyle Lowry in the fourth quarter is some of the most fun basketball that you'll watch as a Raptors yeah. fan. So I, I don't know. I don't have very much of a problem with it. I trust Kyle Lowry as a leader of this team. It's not a big deal to me. Okay, that's fair. So I think maybe the last question that we'll ask, Alan King Chu asked, do you have a favorite interaction with a Raptor player? And I'll start that for you, Iman, and I'll do mine second. Okay, so when I used to work at a restaurant, it was probably about 18 at the time. Joey Graham came in and he was being shown around and Stephen Graham came in, twins. And I remember my coworkers not knowing who either one of them are, but like it was a big deal that they were here at the restaurant because like they were like shown like the special table and yada yada. And I just remember my coworkers being like, wait, wasn't he just wearing a different shirt? And like freaking out about it, but like me understanding that they were twins. And I thought yeah. that, was, that was just one of my favorite instances. Also, I got to, to serve them and I was really excited. I was like, okay, you guys don't know who they are. So that's me. It's all <laughs> me. I'm going to do this one. And that was fun. So I would say I actually have never had an interaction with a Raptors player. So if anyone wants to get Dishes and Dimes game credentials so we can take turn covering the team, those of us who aren't already journalists like Katie, I would be thrilled if anyone wants to do that. But aside from that, um, I would say I have a favorite interaction between Raptors players, if I can switch the question around on its head a little bit. And I'm going to pick a recent one because it's just fresh in my mind. But I thought it was so adorable. The interactions between Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam at All-Star and calling each other beloved all the time. And you could just see, see real affection and kind of a bond. And I know I'm being corny, but it's not the same, obviously, as the Damar and Kyle kind of all-time friendship stuff, which is really great. But yeah, I really loved, loved that a lot. Yeah, the beloved. Hi, beloved. This is my beloved. Anyway, I loved that. I love this team. They're so much fun. Aren't they? Like, they're so lovable. I don't know they how really they are. Yeah, I love all of them. I, and I have a hard time whenever anyone asked me to pick my favorite because as much as I love Kyle and I always say Lowry like I love things about all the starters and then even some of the others so I don't know yeah we're lucky we are and you know who else is really lovely all of the listeners so please like rate and subscribe we always forget to do that I think yeah do that from here on out please rate and uh, subscribe because you're lovely and we love y'all and I think that's it from me is that it from you yeah, man. Just I'm like you. I want everyone to subscribe, rate, and review. Um, follow us on Twitter. Oh, like, like it's a at, video. Right. Subscribe, rate, and review. Follow us on Twitter at Dishes Dimes Pod. And yeah, thank you. All right, see you guys possibly sometime this week. See you. Bye.